This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Bill Even, CEO of the National Pork Board. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science. Bayer spends $2 billion annually developing biological and chemical products as well as digital innovations to enable farmers to use these inputs with more precision than ever. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with the Pork Board's Bill Even next. Nearly 40% of the food crops grown globally are lost every year to plant pests and diseases, a difficult statistic to accept when looking at a rapidly expanding population. That's why Bayer works to provide farmers with tools they need to confront this challenge. Tools that include biological and chemical products as well as important digital innovations that enable farmers to use these inputs with more precision than ever before. Integrated Weed Management, or IWM, is the hallmark of everything Bayer does to help farmers protect their crops. Bayer has championed IWM for generations within the ag industry. In fact, Bayer invests over $2 billion in research and development for farming solutions every year, and a major part of that is into more solutions for IWM. That investment has nearly doubled the spending of their closest competitors. To find out more about how Bayer is working to help farmers fight resistance, visit Bayer.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Recent government data suggests a good supply-demand balance of the nation's swine herd relative to domestic and global demand for pork. Bill Even, CEO of the National Pork Board, says producers are cautiously optimistic about future growth of the industry and certainly pleased with performance of their top markets around the globe. Right now, our top seven markets are up 2% in total volume, and the total values we've indicated is up 10% uh, year over year. So we're continuing to see strong demand, and you look at the Philippines, Colombia, and Mexico really are, have held in there strong even while the, the Chinese purchases are off from some of their uh, record highs here a year or so ago. So what about the domestic market? Uh, the U.S. consumer during the, the pandemic spent more money at the grocery store than they did at restaurant chains. Maybe not as much money spent overall, but uh, the meat case uh, certainly saw plenty of activity by consumers. Is there any way to measure where we are in terms of this pandemic game and the recovery from the pandemic and what that means for U.S. consumers? Well, U.S. pork has done very well uh, during during the pandemic, as you as you've alluded to, when everybody had to start going home and cooking at home and and staying at home in 2020 and including a little bit of that here this spring of this year as the vaccines were getting rolled out, we saw pork sales increase, and the the most important part is they they went up and they stayed up. The bright spot for us has really been uh, ground pork. Uh, Consumers had a chance to experience ground pork um, probably for the first time for some of them during the pandemic, and so they went to the grocery store and didn't see the hamburger that they would normally grab. They saw ground pork, and they tried it. They loved the taste and they've stuck with us. And what we've done with the pork checkoff is actually spend quite a bit of time with the processing industry and the grocery industry, helping them understand what that business opportunity is. So now let's turn the corner and talk about African swine fever. Uh, it has been around for a long time, 
but with regard to the U.S., it is way too close to home uh, for comfort for a number of U.S. producers. Let's talk about the government's efforts right now, uh, what parameters have been set up, and what government efforts have been done to protect the swine herd within the 48 states of the U.S.? So the, the pork checkoff funds a lot of the research necessary to understand the disease, necessary to understand the management, and necessary to understand what sort of testing requirements we may need to put in place. And we do that in cooperation with a lot of other partners, land-grant universities, the USDA. Uh, we're even working internationally. Um, we're actually doing some testing right now with pork checkoff in Romania that has African swine fever in some commercial herds. So it allows us to do some tests and then put those in front of the USDA so they can uh, validate those tests so that we're able to actually do a better job of surveillance here in the future. And that's one way that you get on top of a disease early and try to prevent it from spreading. Now, I've got to give a shout-out to Secretary Vilsack at the USDA and the team there. Um, they really understand the significance and the risk to the U.S. Uh, pork industry and the ag economy in general. Um, they've been great partners consulting with us, the National Pork Producers Council and the states, to really make sure that the plans we have with our protection zone in Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands designed to um, have a, kind of an early warning system around Haiti and the Dominican Republic is going to be very helpful. And Secretary Vilsack's recent announcement that the USDA will put um, upwards of $500 million in AFF, ASF prevention and preparedness is going to go a long way to ensure that uh, we're positioned as best we can. So what efforts has the Pork Board employed with the pork producers in the U.S.? protocols in place to help keep watch and also protect the herd? So we started out with some real basic things around biosecurity. And the U.S. pork industry has gotten a lot better over, I'd say, in the past decade from the biosecurity front in general. And it's making sure that we're keeping our pigs healthy and safe inside the barns and on the farms. And then the next step that is working with the industry around developing a secure pork supply plan, which does include the elements of biosecurity. It's a checklist that producers can use to make sure they've got everything in place to uh, prevent their pigs from getting sick. You take that up one one level higher, uh, the pork checkoff has built uh, what I call a contact tracing app for pigs. It's called AgView. And this AgView app plugs into, uh, whether it's the USDA or state veterinarian's office or the production record system of a farmer, and it allows the state veterinarian instant visual access to movement of animals. So, God forbid, we do have a foreign animal disease in this country. Uh, the producer can permission this information to go to their state veterinarian, and that helps that state veterinarian then manage where do I have a disease problem and where are pigs been moving. I think one thing that most people don't understand, that any given day there's probably a million pigs on the road, and they're moving from maybe their nursery they might be moving to a finishing barn, or they might be moving to the processing plants. And those movements um, are very efficient and allow us to have a great food supply here. But we also have to think about the fact that we could inadvertently be moving disease around in that process. So that's what the pork checkoff's been really focused on, giving the producers and the veterinarians the tools necessary to handle a uh, disease outbreak. I realize my question sounds terribly pessimistic, 
Some might suggest it's not a matter of if, but when African swine fever infects the U.S. herd, especially if you look at the map of the globe and how this disease has spread. Bill, can we keep it outside of the U.S. border, and can we protect the U.S. herd? Well, that's the question our, our 15 farmer uh, farmer board members are asking us and asking themselves. But the top priority they put on is keeping it out of the United States. And so that's what we've been focused on. But at the same time, recognizing if something does go wrong, we be, need to be able to respond quickly and efficiently and effectively so we get back into business as soon as possible with a minimum amount of damage to animals and to people's livelihoods. And so our goal is, number one, is keep it out of the U.S. And I guess one way of looking at it, if you want to think optimistically, is we do have um, classical swine fever has been in the Dominican Republic and Haiti for years, and we've managed to keep that out of the United States for decades. And so with a higher degree of, I'd say, attention paid to this issue, uh, it's only going to help uh, ensure that we do everything possible to keep it out. To draw attention to the seriousness of the matter, do you have data to suggest that if it made it into the country, the economic downfall that would come to producers and to the industry as a result? Yes, the the numbers are pretty sobering, and I'd break it into probably two components. First, if we would inadvertently get African swine fever into the feral pig population, which is uh, runs across the southern United States, um, but keep it out of our commercial herd, the first thing that would happen certainly is uh, ASF determination. It'd be difficult on our export markets and would depress prices. But uh, the, I guess the positive side of that is uh, our goal then would be to keep it out of the nation's commercial herd. I think the biggest and most um, concerning scenario that we have in the industry is inadvertently uh, getting our pigs sick inside of our commercial herds. Uh, that would be much more devastating uh, to the industry. And I want to point out, um, it's going to roll downhill, as they say. The impact on soybean meal demand and therefore the price of soybeans, the impact on corn demand and feed demand there and the impact on the price of corn, uh, the impact more broadly would pull down beef and poultry markets as well because if pork uh, rapidly decreased in price due to an emergency, it's going to pull down the entire protein sector. So we've got knock-on effects beyond just the pork industry. And that's why it's real important that everybody in the system support the, the government's efforts and the industry's efforts to keep it out. Bill, I'd like to focus on the country and on the supply chain, if we can. Uh, during COVID, obviously, the restaurant industry had to sit down, and the grocery uh, grocery stores across the country saw a tremendous influx of consumers as you might expect. There were some empty shells for a period of time. It wasn't because there weren't enough pigs, but it was the the processing and the distribution system. So as we look now, are there enough employees in packing plants? How is the transportation system? How is distribution? Are we better off today or are we, are, are we better prepared today uh, to advance to this post-COVID era? We're better off than we were uh, 18 months ago, and that's a that's a solid fact. Now, that said, um, I don't care where you go in the United States right now, whether it's construction industry, the, the restaurant industry, the farms, or the, the, the packing industry, we are short labor everywhere. 
the common number is everybody's running about 10% short on employees, and they're scrambling just to try to keep everything operating. So we still haven't completely you know, snapped back from that shock of uh, COVID a year ago. Now, the plants and the industry have taken great strides in both uh, vaccinations and ensuring that the workforce is safe and, and cared for in that sense. But um, we're, we tend to run on some Saturdays in the processing industry. And when you're short on labor and you've got folks working five days and then a partial day on a Saturday, it does stretch that workforce uh, a bit thin. And so I think that's a broader question that we've got as a nation on how do we ensure we've got an active um, and well-cared-for workforce in every segment of the U.S. economy. And those pressures you're seeing, um, you're seeing played out in conversations in Washington as well. Bill, I recognize your title as CEO of the National Pork Board, and obviously we are not, and I am not, asking you uh, a policy position, and I'm not asking you to lobby, but I think I can from an educational aspect ask what would be the effect on the u.s pork industry if proposition 12 is able to stand what sort of a shift would this require among pork producers to satisfy pork demand inside the state of california so regarding uh, proposition 12 uh, the pork checkoff did an economic study of uh, retail pork price sensitivity across the country, which included California, many other markets, and many other states. And it came back really loud and clear that um, you're probably going to see uh, less pork available that's going to meet the spec for California, and it's going to increase the prices. Um, that's, what the, that's what the economic analysis is indicating. For the producers themselves, uh, the way that the industry is looking at it, uh, you've got probably about 15% of the U.S. population in California uh, it's a population that really enjoys pork um, uh, ethnically and demographically. And so the problem you've got is the bulk of the industry really isn't set up to actually meet that meet that spec. And so it leaves the producers in a really difficult situation. Um, you're going the industry would have to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to um, reposition themselves. And I think the, when I talk to producers, they, they scratch their head and say, okay, um, how am I going to, how am I going to get, uh, re- some price recovery on this? You know, how do I amortize that out? And then what's to stop a different state from setting a different standard? And I think that's what's really frustrating the producers is, you know, economically, we need to make sure that we can meet consumer demands and expectations, but we've got to be able to do it in a fashion that's predictable that allows us to stay in business. I think that's probably the core point on that is a lot of people are just really confused around uh, what we should be doing out here in the farm. So from a question of animal husbandry and science, are the requirements that would fall under Proposition 12, can they be supported by any land-grant university or uh, any particular solid research that suggests the changes that are required under Proposition 12 are, in fact, the best for the animal and best for the product from the animal? I think that's the gap that, that they've got right now is it appears some of these uh, numbers might be arbitrary. And so as we're a science-based organization at the checkoff and working with veterinarians and animal welfare specialists is what we do. And so I think you put your finger on it, Jeff, um, 
there there needs to be a, a better conversation and not things just uh, being a number being pulled out of thin air. I think. So now we save the best for last. Uh, I don't know that there's really a level of government right now uh, that's not talking about sustainability. A lot of attention is given to the crops area. A lot of attention is being given into forestry, perhaps not as much in terms of livestock. So from the checkoff perspective and the research that you've done, Bill, can you say that the pork producer today is more sustainable than they were five or ten years ago, and what's left on the table that would allow you to be even more sustainable and to help protect the environment? So the U.S. pork industry has made great strides in sustainability that most people are completely unaware of. Uh, the University of Arkansas did a life cycle analysis here a few years ago, and they looked back over 55 years, and they said the U.S. pork industry today uses 75% less land, 25% less water, 7% less energy, and nearly uh, reducing their carbon footprint by uh, over nearly 8%. And so you look at the U.S. EPA numbers, and on the greenhouse gas emissions in agriculture account for, give or take, 10% of U.S. emissions. So ag accounts for about 10%. And inside of those numbers, when you get into it, the pork industry accounts for less than one-half of 1%. So we are incredibly close to realizing the idea of the carbon-neutral pig. In fact, we've got producers out there today when they run the numbers and do the analysis on their farms, they're actually carbon negative with their, with their hog, hog operations. So we think that pork is positioned extremely well, uh, not only to meet these uh, new demands and expectations, but frankly, to actually exceed them. And that's where you get into the ability to discussion whether it's carbon markets and whatnot. But we can't do it alone. Uh, we've got to work with the corn and soybean producers as well because uh, that's also part of our input stream is our feed. This falls into a realm where those who believe that ending the livestock industry would be the best overall uh, for the environment. And I'm not sure that, su- that science supports that cause. We believe that that's just flat wrong. Um, you look at the you look at the landscape here in the United States. One of the reasons that agriculture in the United States has a much smaller footprint than other places in the world is the fact that we've been willing to use technology and innovation and science, and work closely with the USDA and work closely with the land grant university systems to continuously improve things. And you can look at it on the crop side of the ledger or the livestock side of the ledger. And we've done a fantastic job. That's what we in the industry would think of as productivity. It's just what you do in capitalism to get better and leave things better the next year. And I think the main story that we're trying to get across with people is to let them know, number one, U.S. pork industry is really um, close to being carbon neutral today, and we're committed to do even more. So a couple of things we I've got underway um, we actually have got uh, pilot projects on farms on the ground in now 13 states across the nation this year. And we've got um, hundreds of producers representing tens of thousands of acres and hundreds of thousands of heads of hogs are actually doing the hard work it takes to manage and measure what's going on on their farm. And we're giving these producers then a report 
they can quantify, oh, well, I can do this better. Or I'm benchmark. I'm doing pretty well in this area, but let me focus my scarce resources to work on something else. And that sort of data, I think, goes a lot longer than, you know, airy pronouncements of some future target date. So the checkoff's doing the work there on the ground to make sure that we can walk the talk on our sustainability messaging. When I talk to members of the United Soybean Board and their restructuring, they are razor-focused on areas of oil and of meal. And, gee, one of their target areas is sustainability. So among all the things that your board members have to be concerned about, from African swine fever and changing consumer demand and all the other issues, where does sustainability rank in a priority list? So first on the list is African swine fever and keeping that out of the country, and I'd say more broadly ensuring that our pigs are healthy and, and well cared for. Um, that That's how you end up with a safe food supply. But you step back from that and you think about uh, what we call real pork, and real pork is made by real farmers with real pigs on real farms. Uh, that is real sustainable. So our We Care Ethical Principles, uh, we've had them in place now for 13 years. And while the buzzword today is sustainability and regenerative agriculture, folks, this is stuff that we've been doing for decades. So it's nothing new to us. It might just be new to maybe somebody listening to this podcast. And we're on a mission, really, to help explain the good work we're doing. And we're not ashamed of who we are and what we do. In fact, we're proud of it. Uh, just this past week, um, the Economist magazine was hosting a you know, global sustainability conference at 8,000 attendees from around the world. And I was on here this uh, past Thursday morning and was able to share the work that U.S. pork producers are doing. Uh, we had 130 people from the retail grocery industry uh, participate and listen in on a panel discussion by producers that actually talked about tangible things that we're already doing on the farm. I think that's something that makes me really proud to be working with pork producers and farmers in general is we're the ones that got to go do the work. Um, you can have pronouncements and seminars and, and whatnot, but at the end of the day, the farmer needs to be at the table because they're the ones that got to live with the decisions. And that's why we're doing the hard work of the checkoff to actually make sure we can walk the talk. So, Bill, in the realm of sustainability, a uh, simple question, what's next? Well, the pork industry has been working diligently behind the scenes with our board of directors the past year and a half. When we think about sustainability, the pork industry thinks about it in a much broader, more more holistic sense than maybe uh, some companies or firms that are just thinking about it in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. And so we'll be looking to get that information out to people here later this year. The pork checkoff is going to be issuing a national sustainability report uh, at the end of this year. That's the first time we've done one since 2012. And that's going to be the marker we're going to put down to challenge ourselves to continue to do better and then be transparent with people in the supply chain. At the end of the day, we want consumers to feel very comfortable and good about choosing pork for their next meal. I think the other important thing to note is our weak air sustainability metrics are actually being developed by producers. This isn't something coming top-down or coming from supply chain or a brand uh, being pushed down to producers. It's the producers themselves through the port checkoff actually sitting down to come up with uh, what we're going to do and what we believe in 
and what's going to be sustainable for us in the industry, as well as meet those consumer goals. So we're a producer-led organization, and our sustainability metrics are going to be producer-led as well. Well, Bill, even I know it's a busy time of year. The harvest is on across the country and uh, plenty of issues taking place. We want to thank you here at AgriPulse for taking the time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. Bill, it is Open Mic. You've been here before. You get the last word today. Well, thanks, Jeff, and thanks for the privilege. And as we're recording this, um, I'm actually sitting along the side of Interstate 29 uh, south of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, on the way to the farm to get get in the combine and, and take some corn out. And I think uh, that's what's always optimistic about fall is you got the harvest and you get the hard, uh, you know, the fruits of your hard labor through all the years. So I just wish everybody out there in rural America a safe harvest and to know that uh, Port Chekhov and Port Producers are doing everything possible to make sure that we've got a sustainable protein in the, in the, in the years ahead. Our thanks to Bill Even, CEO of the National Pork Board, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science. Investing and developing technologies like integrated weed management to help farmers produce more with fewer inputs to feed a growing world. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.